Hello, and welcome to Primary Sources, a featured production of Radio Cows. Here on Primary Sources, we focus on people who are making a difference in Little Rock and Arkansas. Some you might have heard of, and some you haven't heard of, but probably want to know about. Check out cows.org slash podcasts for a free podcast of Primary Sources interviews. Welcome to another episode of Primary Sources, a podcast of the Central Arkansas Library System. I'm Matt DeCampbell, and our guest today is Pulaski County Treasurer Deborah Buckner. Hi, Deborah. Good morning, Matt. So good to be here. Yes, and good to have you here. Deborah and I have known each other quite some time, and I know that she is going to be a very uh, interesting interview, which you would not always necessarily expect from a treasurer. But if uh, you expect this to not be interesting, then you've never met. Buckner. <laughs> <laughs> so let's before we get into your job and all the details with that. Uh, let's let's start with your history, your background. Where did you grow up? Uh, you know, what did you want to be when you were a kid? What what did you do for fun? I am one of those very fortunate people who was born and reared in Hot Springs, Arkansas, when it was a very small town. I went to Lakeside High School, graduated in uh, 1969. Go Rams! Still, it was. Uh, very Mayberry-ish type of uh, rearing. Uh, grew up in the Methodist Church, sang in the choir, rode my bicycle to elementary school. Uh, very an enviable uh, life to to be reared in. Um, my parents were from there, and um, uh, unfortunately, I've lost both my parents. But I have a very special place in my heart for Hot Springs. Ended up uh, attending Henderson University. On scholarship, unfortunately, was in a pretty serious car accident and uh, um, have some scars to prove it. But uh, did not finish college, um, as economics are. Moved to Little Rock to seek my fortune. Went to work at Worthen Bank for those folks old enough to remember <laughs> a Worthen Bank, um, and fortunately found uh, fertile soil and started as a teller. Worked my way up and eventually was a VP over. Um, statewide lending and made home loans and spent uh, many number of years there. So for about 20 years, I was in the banking industry. Okay, um, I'm going to back you up a little bit there. So what, clearly when you were a little girl, you weren't thinking, I want to grow up and be the tax collector. Actually, when I was a little girl and even on through high school and even college, I didn't actually plan to work. That's what's hysterical about oh. the fact that I've worked my entire life. I was going to be the lady with the apron who made cookies and had a garden and canned vegetables and married the boy down the road and had babies and did PTA. However, the boy down the road had another idea when the time came to the altar. Uh. Consequently, um, and he will remain nameless, but he knows who he is and he's a very successful stockbroker here in Little Rock. However, uh, so my life took a different turn than I had planned Initially, took four years of home ec and no business courses. That was where I was headed, right? <laughs> right. So, consequently, I could sew on a button, but I didn't end up graduating college. But um, the uh, uh, the path that your life takes is sometimes uh, unanticipated. Mm -hmm. I think most people would say, this is not where I thought I would be. Uh, after 20 years in banking, uh, my life took a different course. We had three teenage girls. and. Uh, I was doing a lot of nationwide traveling. I was involved with, a, as the thrifts were collapsing, um, I 
I was involved with uh, the closure of many of the savings loans nationwide. We worked in 41 states. My mother uh, was diagnosed with cancer. I wanted to be home. And so I was looking for the inspiration of some skill sets that I had. I happened to know the prior treasurer, lovely Mrs. Pat Tedford, and I saw in the newspaper that she was not going to seek re-election, and I was 49 years old, so I thought, hmm, treasurer, math, banking, money, maybe I can do that. So I called Miss Pat and said, what do you do all day? Well, what is this job? She gave me about a two-sentence answer, and I said, you know what, I can figure this out. Never ran for student council, thought politics and government was horrible, had no respect really for <laughs> the local uh um, processes, but um, felt led to, after much prayer and thought and family consideration, to come off the road, retire from my career in banking, and uh, run for office. And I did. And amazingly, as a first-time candidate, I won the primary, and then I won against a CPA in the general. So I guess it was meant to be, and the stars aligned, and I found myself walking into a job that I knew absolutely nothing about. So it sounds like that you still ended up as the woman with the apron making cookies and raising <laughs> kids. You were just working on top of that the whole time as well. Well, Gloria Steinem and others said you can have it all. Yeah. So I had my babies and I had my marriage and I had my church and I did do PTA. But in the meantime, I was a major breadwinner. I was married for 10 years to a nice person, but our we parted ways. So I was a single mom and had two kids to support. Um, and clearly, there was not going to be a no income opportunity for me. And being a bit of an overachiever, uh, as I learned more about myself, um, I, I wanted to do well at whatever I was doing. And uh, there's a price you pay for trying to be good at everything. Consequently, rising up, uh, raising up, excelling or going up in the, in the years that I did in banking, it was a man's world. And so it was um, a, I was a bit naive about just do a great job, be the one that the boss wanted everybody to be just like you, work late, take work home, the weekends, the whole thing, and then you would be compensated and rewarded accordingly. I didn't understand about golf courses and jets and smoking cigars and drinking bourbon at four o'clock in the afternoon. Wasn't what I was going to be doing. However, through grit, uh, you become recognized eventually and it's undeniable. So I had a great career in banking and have no regrets really. So, and I, there's a reason I'm going back to this and I'm going to tie this together. Um, not going into details about your car accident that you mm -hmm. had that derailed your, your completing mm -hmm. college and all that. but. Knowing a lot of people who have been through various trauma, mm. how did that experience for you kind of change your perspective, or did it change your perspective and your approach to, you know, to life, both personally and professionally? It was a shock and uh, very painful, and again, scars uh, my face and you know, lots of um, embarrassment as a twenty-year-old young woman. So it also left me without a vehicle, which was economically horrible. Mm -hmm. My little old rattle trap just was covered by insurance. So I found myself injured, finishing a semester without a vehicle, and kind of had to start over, literally rowing two sticks together. Mm -hmm. So it gave me the 
understanding of how difficult it can be. We were a middle American family. We were not a wealthy family. I was the eldest of six children. So for me, it was sort of time for me to go figure out what I could do on my own. And you just take a deep breath and go, I was an A student, I can figure this out. I can walk, I can drive, I can talk, I can be employed. I wasn't, I didn't lose vision. It could have been much worse. And I have a strong Christian faith. So for me, it was one day at a time and keep climbing. Mm -hmm. So it did alter the course of my life. I had planned to be a speech and drama teacher. And uh, because I adored my speech and drama teacher at Lakeside High School. Some people say I'm still a speech and drama teacher <laughs> uh, in the things that I do. But uh, it did alter the course of my life. And it was a pivotal moment because I found myself uh, really um, having to go to work. And back then, in the late 60s, early 70s, there weren't as many scholarship opportunities. I did get an academic, academic scholarship, but there weren't Pell Grants. There weren't, the opportunities didn't exist then like they do today. So consequently, I had to go to work. Did that experience feed into your determination later on as you're working through the boys club atmosphere of, <laughs> of banking of the, you know, hey, I've, you know, you, you pulled through worse, you know, put on your big girl pants and we can get through this? And when you're 5'2", yeah. you're constantly pulling on your big girl pants. <laughs> I actually tried to go to work for an airline, but you had to be 5'4", and I wasn't. Mm. And so... I had to find a job that I wanted to do because I love to travel that was um, something that somebody 5'2 could do. My parents had been in banking and so that was kind of a natural progression for me. I knew the, the field a little bit. But I think you're born with some sort of grit and determination to achieve in general. But when you've really been at the hard scrabble place, and you've overcome that, I think you do get not an arrogant mindset, but a determination mindset that you look around at the world and say, if other people can do this, I can do this, mm -hmm. or more. And I was determined to be or more. So once you became or more, and <laughs> you walk into the job, January 2001, uh, what did you find compared to what you expected? <clears throat> Mrs. Tedford was a lovely lady, and she had a staff of folks that handled her management style very well. However, in banking and where I came from, everything was competitive. The best of technology, the best phone system, the best of everything. And what I walked into was not that. Consequently, the branch offices didn't have a fax machine. Uh, Mrs. Tedford used dictation, or they handwrote uh, memos, etc. I had come from a laptop environment where I wrote my own memos and um, my phone didn't even have voicemail in 2001. So I found fertile ground for technology to be uh, enhanced. Mm -hmm. There was a budget. She left me a good budget and I was able to actually put computers in as opposed to dummy terminals. We got mainframe. Everybody went to World Wide Web School. We got email fax machines, and you'd think I'd have been Stephen Jobs because this looked like something amazing, when really it was sort of dragging the treasury and the tax office into uh, 
more adaptable environment. And the, the community was changing. The world was changing and demanding, wanting, expecting these types of services from government. And they didn't exist at the time, but there really hadn't been the demand for it. But as we went from 201 and year after year after year, and here we are in 17, there's an expectation that we can pay on our mobile phone or whatever. I was very fortunate to be partnered early on with an aggressive and innovative lady at Information Network of Arkansas. They do an amazing job in Arkansas in technology. And she knew my mindset and that I was eager to do these things. She called me one day and said, would you like to be the first county in America, the entire country, to have mobile phone payment option on your, you know, either app on your phone? And I'm like, well, yes, how fast can that happen? <laughs> so she met me in the hallway and over a cup of coffee, she went bingity, bingity, bing. I had no idea what she did, but she showed me how. So we could introduce this to the community, set a tone for other counties in Arkansas. We got a national write-up. You know, I don't need it for my resume, but it was cool to read it, you know. Sure. But the idea was I was open to what might come, and that was free to us. They provided that because, of course, they're fee-based. And the more right. people that pay, the more fees they get. So it's a win-win for her if we're willing to take this on. Now, a very large portion. We've kind of done a demographic thing. Kind of the 45 and under people all pay on their phone. Mm -hmm. um, so that having that in place and tested and get the bugs worked out has been um, wonderful. Plus, we ultimately got a website and have tweaked it many times and added the uh, um, payments online and made it simpler for people. Information Network of Arkansas, of course, is, like I said, fee-based. There's no money that the county charges, but it's a convenience fee. You know, if you go to 7-Eleven at midnight to get beer, it's more expensive than if you're going to Kroger at 3 in the afternoon. So the convenience fee that people pay is something that we still fight. They, uh, there's a resentment because it has to be listed on their tax bill. Yeah. When you go to Brandex Retail, that's a hidden charge. You right. don't see that listed for right. $4 or whatever. So we answer that question frequently. But, but anyway, it's really been fun to watch it evolve. So you update the office, bring it kicking and screaming into the 20th century, <laughs> almost 21st century at that yeah. point. And then, you I mean, 9-11 comes in your first year. Yes. You have somewhat a recession after that. Oh. Then you have the, the tech bubble bursts mm. and everything with that. So how did that add to the challenge on top of what you're already facing, trying to get the office organized? Well, I'm going to take a little bit of a sidebar on a personal note. Um, in my banking career, I'd worked with many folks in Wall Street. Mm -hmm. And I stood there in my office. We found a television that day, and we watched the second tower come down, and I lost two friends, very close personal friends. So it was a very difficult. Uh, two weeks later, my father died. So in my first year of office, it was pretty traumatic mm -hmm. to try to walk into this. And, and so back to that grit thing and on my knees and, you know, help me get guidance to go forward on, on doing what I'm supposed to do with this office and, and support these citizens and the staff. And moving forward with that, the dilemma that I witnessed from then the folks who had no tools to deal with. Right. I found myself very comforted with that, but I also set about a plan to set up a disaster recovery center away from our office and use a little bit of the funding that we save a little bit a year mm -hmm. to set up a place that if somebody did something unseemly and our office disappeared, that 
we could keep collecting tax money because if we're not collecting tax money, the cities and the schools and Central Arkansas Library, who I'm a huge fan of, Layman Library, Timber Commission, Children's Hospitals, the county hospital, if I couldn't collect tax money, then that's my fiduciary duty, then these people couldn't get funded. And what I saw with my friends in Wall Street in New York in general was they were out of business. Mm -hmm. So on a teeny little scale in Little Rock, Arkansas for Pulaski County, I had an epiphany of, dear God, I'm not going to be left with the uh, crippling uh, the facilities. Who's going to fund the jail and the coroner and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? It's all tax base generated. So ding, ding, that's my job. I've got to get a place to keep receiving tax money up the technology. Deployed people could still pay or whatever. So that's kind of what 201 brought me. So we went from there to kind of the big game plan. Of course, I've got to get reelected. It's a two-year job. Right. So I'm still thinking about you know that and occasionally scrambling H for my husband. So um, that go-forwards was a very intense time for us. And I'm very blessed and fortunate that I'm surrounded with a great team. I've had the same management people all this tenure. So we rallied, and yeah, I believe in management by group. I don't want to be the only idea person. I like to hire good people, turn them loose, and let them tell me what they're what they think we should do. So I'm not the solo uh, dictatorial type management. I, I'm very much a team uh, consensus builder. So we move forward from there with what we could learn, not heavily funded, but with some tax money, so that we could go forward, and that coupled with the idea that the tax revenue, there were so many people who chose not to pay. Mm -hmm. And therefore, not only did I need to up the ante for those who didn't pay, but I need to make it easier for those who chose to pay to pay more timely, etc. We innovatively came with an installment program that they could pay any amount they wanted to from the time we opened the books until October. When I came in office, Matt, um, about 70% of the taxes were paid in October and about 30% from March forward. Sure. My banking background told me cash flow management was that we should have a consistent amount of money coming Stretch every out. month. Yeah. Think about it. What if you only got your big pay, you got one paycheck a year from whatever job you have. You get a big check in December and you got to figure out how to live all year. Well, that's almost how, on a 70-30, that schools and libraries and everybody else was trying to live. The tax money that came in October basically went to them in December, and they had to figure out how to make that until kind of the next October. Well, that was alien to all my financial background. Sure. And like, let's get a consistent cash flow in this joint, okay? <laughs> so we promoted the installment program. We got the e-checks. We got the credit cards. We promoted it heavily. I got all the press I could to have the public know, listen, don't wait till October and maybe don't pay because you're broke. Pay that hundred bucks a month as we're open or whatever. Get yourself kind of protected from that October gotcha. And it was hard for people. So people on fixed income could pay every month or whatever. So I'm happy to say there was a response in the education with the public and now we get about 30% in October, and we get 70% throughout from March on. So we're able to give, Bobby Roberts called and con congratulated me, and Jeff Baskin when he was alive, 
Uh, the libraries could see the difference. The hospitals could see the difference because we were sending more money sooner and they could adjust their budget accordingly. So kind of all that was year 0203 mm -hmm. to make those things happen. We had to get a little legislation changed and um, actually it's been, I think, a good catalyst for other counties. Some of the larger counties looked at that and went, you know what? We're not stuck in the 1850s on how, we're not an agricultural you know, state anymore. You don't have to wait till harvest to get the fool's money in. You can give them a chance to pay sooner. <laughs> so that's kind of where we went. So that brings me up a little bit yeah. further into the tenure. Yeah. And you talked about having to uh, run almost immediately after, because you were in two-year terms at the time. Right. Uh, what was, when you walked in the door, because again, you had contested elections right out the gate at your first race ever, how long did you expect or think or hope that you'd have the job? My original plan, believe it or not, was 20 years. Oh. Well, I looked up the book. I wanted to be the longest serving female oh. treasurer in Pulaski County history. Well, there you go. So I dug out the archives and being again, goal oriented. I was 49 years old when I went in office and I thought, nah, I'm 69, 70 years old. Besides my time in banking between consulting and all the things I did in banking was about 20 years. So if you look 20, 25 years, that was sort of, this was gonna be phase two for me. Yeah. So it it was the idea that in the first year, you wanna prove your, you should have the right to return because you've been aggressive and innovative. It still is the concern that the world can change around you. And of course it has much, very much so yeah. since I ran the first time in 2000. But I wanted to earn the job. I wanted to earn the right to come back. I wanted people to believe that I was not going to write a clock, write a desk. I wasn't in the tax receding business. Mm -hmm. I'm in the tax collection business. Right. That is a 180 mindset. Yeah. And from that paradigm, having been a visible, outgoing, statewide active banker and a Wall Street engaged person and a national person, I taught MBA courses, etc. I wasn't afraid to go meet people and ask for money. Mm -hmm. So that developed into, as we were finding those folks who chose not to pay, who could pay, defining those folks as a category became kind of a fun adventure for us. So we officially call them scofflaws, right? <laughs> Or deadbeats, or well, I was going to say, is a is there an official name? I mean, you know, official governmental name, and then B was there a lot of fun had trying to come up with alternative names? Well, you know, ones you knew you couldn't use. It's it's. I'm going to use a very clean, a G-rated language here, oh. but of course, uh, scofflaws is a word. Deadbeat is a word. Uh, irresponsible citizen. Here's the deal. We all pay a price to have a civilized community and quality government to the best that we can, and they're willing to pay for it. If you're not paying your share, but you are calling the coroner, or you are calling police, or a fire, or community services, if you're taking advantage of all the things that we frankly don't bill you every time you want a service, you pay a small fee for a marriage license or to file a deed, but that certainly doesn't pay to orchestrate the commercial side of having this available to you. So my thought on this is that 
since it's all public information, mm -hmm. and we could have a website 24-7 with all the deadbeats listed every day, all day, and I could call bankers and lawyers and credit unions and say, just go look, see who these people are. I could run lists in Arkansas Times, Arkansas Business, the DG, whomever. I started running um, lists in the colloquial papers, the Maumel, the Jacksonville, this type thing. These are the top 10 deadbeats. Do business with them if you want to, but I'm not. I quit going to restaurants. I quit going to dry cleaners. I quit using any facility that didn't choose to support the services. You're taking money from the community by being in business, say, for, for example, but they weren't paying for the schools that are afforded for their children. So I would begin a education adventure connecting the dots that the services you pay for come from tax money and pointing out that if you didn't pay your taxes and you're an ongoing business, you've invited me to your door. Mm -hmm. I'm going to show up and ask you for payment. So that began a series along the way of site visits and we took media from time to time, not every time, but frequently we would, but it's a good news story mm -hmm. because the world wouldn't know because there was a disconnect about this. And so we started on what we call theme days. So we would look into a variety of different theme days that we could do. We would choose to do medical. One day we would take the media and go see doctors, dentists, equipment vendors who supplied hospitals. We would have a lawyer day we would go to large firms, small firms, independent lawyers. So the theme days seem to take on a mind of their own or mm -hmm. a life of their own because the media, you being a media type would appreciate this, there were was a history that could be studied about what's the track record for lawyers or doctors or medical, you know, this type of thing. Yeah. So there was a kind of a rope that could be put around that industry. One of the most popular ones we ever went to uh, that we did was what we called, uh, in G-rated, we called entertainment businesses. Oh. Yes, and those were strip clubs yes. and sex toys and um, a variety of commercial businesses that would support those industries. Yeah. That might be the most popular one that we ever did because, of course, sex sales and non-payment of sex sales, and so <laughs> that worked really well. And the interesting thing about that was, and is, to date, and here we are on a Tuesday in 2017, but to date, every time I have ever gone to a business personally, I have always left with the tax payments current. They never don't pay. And the annoying thing about that can be, they always had the money. Yeah. Why Why do I have to go there yeah. and walk into the strip club and walk into the doctor's office to physically be, you know, with my hand out when they had the money? Mm -hmm. So, and retail stores, uh, gift shops, florists, car dealers, uh, we've kind of hit the gambit. When you started this and decided and we're looking at the roles and looking at who you needed to go after surely as long as you had lived here you were coming across some names of friends or people you'd work you know worked around or or i was so aggravated at some of these <laughs> fools i could not believe people i went to church with 
etc etc people I've known my whole life lots of the bankers frankly there were some county employees there were some elected officials and old media types like you used to call and say hey everybody running for office who hadn't paid their taxes they made their own story because they didn't take care of their civic responsibility so sure I was offended I'd always paid my taxes on time how dare they mm-hmm. over time it's become a running joke I can't go to the grocery store or to a, a restaurant now and people always walk up to me and say I paid my checks in the mail etc etc and business owners will say I've paid I said yes you have or I wouldn't be here so yes it was offensive to find out <laughs> that people were deadbeats um, And again, this isn't state taxes withheld from their paycheck. This isn't federal taxes. This is local. This is your guy driving a patrol car. You know, this is the fireman showing up when your house is on fire or getting your cat out of the tree. Why would you not want to support? And those aren't high-paid jobs. Those are public servant positions. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it was a real eye-opener. What's the... uh most unexpected reaction. You said they always pay, but what's the most unexpected reaction you ever got showing up to someone's door? Well, I just happened to have some stories. Imagine that. <laughs> um, one of the first times that we went out, we got a U-Haul truck because the law does not allow me to close a bit. Bu- did not allow me to close a business, but I could remove. What the law allowed was to remove their merchandise that was assessed on a list and have an auction, basically. Sure. If their taxes were $100 or $500, then if I gathered enough merchandise to sell it to pay back taxes, that's what the law allowed me. Now, no one in Arkansas had ever done this. So I ran it through legal counsel. I wanted to be in a safe harbor position. I didn't want to do anything that would uh, that was outside the law, but I also was going to make a point. So we go to this business, lots of merchandise. I've got three or four of my staff with clipboards taking inventory, checking the list. I had a couple of reserve deputies in case somebody got ugly. They're standing outside to keep the peace. Um, Again, I'm 5'2". I think I'm tall. I'm not really tall. I'm not a really big person. But I have a big attitude, I realize. So we go in, and I said, you know, I'm Deborah Buckner, and I'm here to um, uh, pick up payment for the back taxes. This is what you owe. Have the documents. You know, here's your assessment. Here's your tax bill, blah, blah. And the gentleman said, I'll have to call the owner. And I said, and by the way, I'm not taking a check. You're two years delinquent, and I'll take cash. Mm-hmm. We'll count it out right here. And it was several hundred dollars. Sure. So he was going to call the owner. Well, I said, I'll give you an hour. In the meantime, we're taking inventory. We've got the U-Haul truck. We're going to start making arrangements that, you know, we'll be here for an hour. We'll wait. You can mm-hmm. go to the bank and get cash, you know, et cetera. Not assuming they just had that cash laying around. I, I get that. So he goes to the back room, makes a phone call. In about 45 minutes, flying up in the parking lot, <laughs> gravel going everywhere. Now, the media's with me. Yeah. Um, all the TV stations, the print media. Here comes the owner. It was his wife. Oh. So, he was a co-owner of this business. Wow. So, she comes in with her gold bag and her... Uh, I won't be discrim- I won't be disparaging about her appearance, but let's just say that we've all seen old pictures of Tammy Faye Baker. Yes, it was similar. She she invested did. money in her physical appearance. Yes, there was a spackle factor going on gotcha. with all that. Yeah. yeah. So she opens up this gold bag with 
chunks of, of cash, we lay it out on the counter, the, you know, we count it out and it was, you know, exactly right. And so we, I said, thank you very much. And uh, we left. And so she's standing there with her storekeep business owner partner husband with their mouth open, clearly had the money, mm-hmm. but no one had ever physically made a site visit to say, you know what, we're here to get it. It was a lovely business, huge business, high quality, expensive merchandise, and that was our very first visit. And since it was successful, we were clearly fueled to go and do more. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So it made the front page. It was on all the stations. That day we did a few other visits. That was just our first one. But the the surprising thing was to be told by the guy sitting at the desk, he'd call the owner when he was uh, an owner. Yeah, well, and, and the fact that <laughs> not mentioning who the owner was and... It, yeah. Like it's some phantom. Right, right. Some corporation right. out My of My boss, her, you know, yeah, which, her. I mean, she may have been his boss through well, most of life, but... And there I was a lot of speculation about that amongst my staff. I, I can imagine. Yes, I, yes, yeah, yes. I can only imagine. So then, also, having worked in government for quite some time myself, you have to have been either a part of or at the center of any number of conspiracy theories <laughs> as the tax collector. Um, and, and the way that you're laughing, I don't think I need to m- ask much else about that. I can just let you go. You know, government employees are not highly paid employees, as you will remember from your time in the administration of the state. I've been accused of being on a percentage of collections. Mm-hmm. I've been offered, frankly, money off the table, uh, under the table. I've been offered equipment. I have been offered services um, to not reveal, take their name off the website, not put them in the paper. If, you know, It's amazing what people will tempt you or test you with. Mm-hmm. And the amazing moral upbringing that is as tall might as I am that my parents instilled in me and the Methodist Church my entire <laughs> life. Um, it's sort of like being married. I'm the most married person you know, and when it comes to this, I'm the most moral person you know. There, My mom and daddy taught me young, don't ever be tempted to compromise. If your gut says no, it's no. And so there's not a ceiling fan or a washer and dryer, tickets to the hall game, or you know, free meals here, or a resort there, or whatever. You just it's like don't ever smoke the first cigarette. Right. If you just don't, mm-hmm. you don't have anything to apologize for. Um, you know, I'm a I'm a flawed individual like we all are. But where I'm going with that is, instead of being um, have my head turned because we aren't well well paid employees. I mean, you know, we I, I knew what the salary was. I, I'm not unhappy about that. But to be have your head turned, we read all the time. I have government employees that I've known personally that are currently in jail Mm -hmm. because they had their head turned for little money. And we're running about $700 million a year. It would have to be so handsome, but I ain't leaving Arkansas. Yeah. (laughs) So I'm not going to the Bahamas, you know. Uh, They don't have the Ozarks there. No. So, yes, it's been, um, and the sly way with which people would try to approach you 
or even your staff, people would come and report things to me uh, that they were, on the one hand, you think is this how they've done business? Have they done this with other government people or whatever? How, what's their life story? Um, but then you're so offended by it. You think that I'm gonna be smirch my career, my name and my family for, oh, I don't know, a week somewhere, no. So anyway, sure, and that continues. Well, and on the other side of that same coin, instead of being tempted with something and falling into that, you've surely been accused of, you know, I mean, I hear all the time about government conspiracies, right? About local government, state government, federal government. And then when you know the people that work every day in those jobs, they're good at their jobs, but it's like the, the, the construction is not here to pull off the kind of <laughs> stuff that you guys are dreaming up. Have you heard anything like, like you know, any, any plot that you're at the center of a flow chart of? Well, you know, of course, there are a percentage of our populace that everything about government is horrible. And all this tax money is really not going for these services I mentioned previously. They're um, funding subversive things. They're going after us because they don't like our business. And they're probably lining their pockets or there's probably a bank account somewhere. Um, there are often people that say things like, you know, I don't have kids in public school. Why should I have to pay for public school? That money's probably not going to public school. You're probably putting that somewhere else. I'd love to see your retirement. You're driving a Cadillac. Well, yeah, it's nine years. It's a 2009 and it's paid for. <laughs> and my husband bought it for me. And no, Parker Cadillac did not give me that old car that I've been driving that has 63,000 miles on it. Thank you very much. Um, so there are accusations sure. that do come in. And I'll politely say Bubba and Boudreaux, who would show up, uh, toothless wonders that they may be, um, they are um, paranoid, period. And so when you represent something like that, it's not without pause that you would be in public or someone would come to the office and uh, mean ill for you. I've been threatened. Mm -hmm. I've gotten threatening letters. I've, so. It, it, I'm making a little bit light about it, but um, in today's world, yeah. when people are being accosted for the most, the slightest thing, it it's raises your awareness sure. that some of these folks, I've, I've had to call for law enforcement before to um, be mindful of threats that we've had, but this is no different than other government officials. The I think the higher you go, maybe in state or federal, there are more accusations sure. than at the local level. As time has passed during your tenure, and you see, and I think people have more access with the spread of the web and everything to these stories, you know, around the country of corruption at various levels, and it and it breeds and you know ferments that distrust of government that has grown more and more over time. Have you found it? harder to convince people that good government still happens or once you sit down and talk to someone at the end of the day they're they're people and they've always been people you know or or is there like a new a new wall there that maybe wasn't as as hard to penetrate in 2001 as we've worked on educating the public about that it matters that you pay your taxes and what where the money goes 
and we've gone out to the rotaries of the civic organizations. We've done PowerPoint presentations at education. I think that it's less than it was, and here's my answer to that. Whether it's banking or media or government, there's a percentage of bad actors everywhere, and they're going to arrive wherever they arrive. And so if you look at the insurance industry or the medical field, any it, it doesn't matter, manufacturing, agriculture, there are always going to be that percentage of people that are, I think it's a, a quick trick to make money or they're in it for the short term, and they're, they, they seek and they attract perhaps those people who might make that connection. And so I think for me, my personal experience is, although the awareness of this is higher mm -hmm. than perhaps 17, 18 years ago, the number of people that we are knowing about uh, is just because of media. We've got 20, it's all Ted Turner's fault. We have 24 hour news cycles and now we sure. have this global everything. When we just had 4 7 11, right. <laughs> you know, and it, the Indian came on it, uh, the, the little symbol came on it, what, midnight or whatever, we didn't have all this. So seeking filling up news cycles does re repetitively tell stories of bad actors in, um, in government fields. And I will say this uh, Larry Jigley, Prosecutor Jigley, is a good friend of mine. I think the world of Larry. And he and I share something that we did have a bit of unpleasantness back in earlier in the Flasky County. Our comptroller went to prison. He had embezzled. It was, um, we, he and I didn't get along from the day I walked in the door. And I had concerns in reporting and financial, and this is all documented. It's, I'm not saying anything out of school. Again, it's public record. But um, we did not agree that two and two made four. And so adversarially, I was told, you don't understand county government. Well, no, dude, but I understand math, and it's <laughs> yours isn't working. Right. And so there was, a, uh, I was accused of arrogance and uh, troublemaking and all this sort of thing, when basically I wanted to understand how they were professing this to the core importance of the community. Yeah. And ultimately, six or seven years later, it doesn't feel good to be have been right about it, the county was in a financial really hard spot because uh, false revenue projections had happened and the money wasn't there. And I kept saying the cash is not matching what he says we have. However, that had to come forward. Um, but from the perspective of working through the, the collapse, if I would say, of the financial standards in the probably dropping ratings the county would have should they have had to borrow for building projects or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, it was it was humiliating. It was embarrassing. Even though my staff wasn't responsible, we're proud, proud to work for Pulaski County, and it was a real dent. But as we have seen statewide, local-wide, whatever, um, bad actors do taint the other agencies because of those conspirators think you're all involved and you had to have looked the other way. And sometimes, even with audits and checks and balances, people are clever for a season. Mm -hmm. And then they're found out. Yeah. Have you, as you've, uh, this just came to me, as you've been at the forefront of trying to push technology and, you know, advancement, have you ever uh, found yourself in the middle of any uh, 
attempts at high tech fraud. And I bring this up because when we were in the governor's office, we had someone in a foreign country who had gotten a copy of a Arkansas auditor's check and had very cleverly been able to mass produce them and uh, you know would send them along saying uh, you know pretending to be with the state of Arkansas and saying but this was all coming from you know far overseas and we got to the bottom of it and stopped and everything but have you ever seen anything like that absolutely the, yeah absolutely when you are running millions of dollars through you know accounts you're paying bills you're paying salaries etc again someone's gonna um, make attempts to do this they work so hard at being a criminal if they'd work that hard and have you know <laughs> endeavors they could be a legitimate wealthy person instead of a criminal however uh, yes we have had uh, checks reproduced just exactly like you said uh, big checks come through we partner with our banks that we choose to do business with that we have a system in place that we were early on with this that if a check comes through and the check is number one two three four and it's supposed to be for five thousand dollars but it comes through for fifty thousand dollars the bank kicks it mm -hmm. so we put things in place very quickly we had former employees uh, that were doing fraudulent things with payroll checks and uh, employees that had been fired who had done things we took on direct deposit of payroll check three months into my first year because I came from that but they were all doing paper paychecks in 2001 for 1200 people and I immediately went oh my gosh we got to get rid of this paper so early on we started that process but there are still categories of people and it's not they're not required by law to take direct deposit kind of wish they were mm -hmm. but there are folks who are allowed to still have a paper paycheck and ultimately the folks who perpetrated fraud with those are some people who still got paper so it made it easier. But you bet, if there's a, uh, we, we are under siege constantly. Not so much the other departments in the county that don't have money, but again, we're running millions. And so it is kind of an open, and we're the biggest county in Arkansas. We're the capital city. So it, it draws a little bit more of the activity. A smaller county, uh, although I have heard of some that have been uh, received some emails that the is the judge is sending an email saying write this check to so and so and the treasurer's going what he's two doors over what why is he sending me an email come to find out that was one of those out of yeah. country fraud issues yeah. and in a couple of cases it worked mm -hmm. so there were some people that did lose some money yeah well as we start to wind this down uh obviously i think the question i have to ask is to help to help you as well <laughs> but to help all of us uh when you are sending in that online payment or if you're writing Pulaski County Treasurer on a check while mumbling non-gerated words <laughs> under your breath uh, you know we've talked some about civic duty and civic services but you know what's something that people may not think about as much that should give them some you know whether it's a better understanding or some contentment as to why they're writing these checks why they're paying these taxes and why it does them good you know what we're always here for you. The sheriff is going to come. The jail is open. The services are going to be available to you. You're going to be able to vote. You're going to be able to go to the clerk's office and get a copy of a deed from an estate. You're going to be able to do your genealogy research. Uh, one of the things that I wanted to make mention about cows is look what's been done here. 
in the center that we sit with tax money. We're always going to be here. We have continuity of services. And even though folks may write us two or three times a year or once a year, or their mortgage company pays their taxes, they can rest assured that the portion that they're paying for the services they may use help provide the consistency with which I think we have a great staff of dedicated, low-paid citizens who really have a heart for doing public service. I think that's corny in a way, but I think it's huge to understand. When someone's standing there, their parents have died, they don't understand the tax bill, they're from out of state, we're going to sit there with them until they've got an understanding. They've got an assessment that they are confused by. Uh, they've got a prosecuting attorney or a public defender that they have without resources and they need help. It looks free to them when they walk in the door, but it's the tax money they pay annually that provides those services, which means that we're always going to be here to offer those services. They don't have to roll into, a in, into an office all over this county. We have six offices for tax collection. When they need help, they can get it. And with the online program, we're never off duty. We're 24 seven now. Mm -hmm. And every email is responded to, every tech support is answered. Public service at one level is a calling. There you go. And if writing that check now prevents you from having to call the boss uh, <laughs> when Deborah Buckner shows up at your door, then I think that's a good peace of mind to have too, because you will show up. No one wants to see me coming, and I'm completely happy with that. Right. Well, there you go. <laughs> well, I was very happy to see you coming, and thank you for being here. Uh, our guest has been Deborah Buckner, the Pulaski County Treasurer. If people have uh, questions or inquiries, what's the best way to, to find their treasurer's office? If they want to go to an office, of course, the website lists everything. If you want to make a phone call, it's a very simple local number, 501-340-6040. Very simple. Or, of course, PulaskiCountyTreasurer.net. You can go online or ask me at the grocery store. Everybody does. Okay. <laughs> and you did get, we aim for authentic conversations on this podcast, and you got very authentic, Deborah Buckner, outside maybe of the G-rated language, because <laughs> I've, I've heard some PG. We'll just leave it at that. And from you. Well, yes, that goes both ways. <laughs> this has been another edition of Primary Sources. We are a podcast of the Central Arkansas Library System. You can find other episodes of this podcast as well as other podcasts and tons of good resources at calscals.org. And we will see you the next time around. You've been listening to Primary Sources on Radio Cows, a production of the Central Arkansas Library System, its Arkansas History Department, the Butler Center for Arkansas Studies, and the Cows Communications and Public Relations Department. For more information, please visit cows.org and butlercenter.org. Our producer is Glenn Whaley. Production manager is Shelley Stormo. Voices by Jasmine Job and John Miller. Engineering and editing by Anna Lancaster and Shelley Stormo. Our executive producers are Leanne Blackwell Hoskin and David Strickland.